0: On this episode of EHS on Tap, understanding the true costs of managing stormwater, we discuss the costs associated with stormwater regulations, as well as the key roles of businesses, municipalities, and communities in managing effective stormwater programs. Today, we're speaking with Seth Brown. Seth is the principal and founder of Storm and Stream Solutions, a consulting firm providing a range of services from policy and infrastructure finance analysis in the stormwater sector, to the development and delivery of technical and policy-related training focused on stormwater topics. He also acts as a senior advisor for the Water Environment Federation, also known as WEF, where he provides support on technical and policy issues related to stormwater management and wet weather dynamics. Perhaps most notably, Seth is the WEF liaison to the National Municipal Stormwater Alliance, which is an independent 501c3 comprised of state and regional organizations focused on the MS4 program. Welcome to the podcast, Seth.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Emily.
0: All right. So let's start broadly and sort of narrow in on some of these detailed uh, issues surrounding stormwater and the management of stormwater. I would like uh, to start, Seth, if you could tell our listeners generally what stormwater is and why stormwater can cause water quality problems
1: sure um stormwater is that term uh is it represents the, the situation that occurs when you've got rainfall or some type of precipitation, so it could be snowmelt, something like that, where you've got uh, an input of precipitation onto the landscape, and the landscape can absorb some of that and can integrate it and process it, portions of it, um, and, and, and in most small rainfall events, uh, there's no runoff generated at all, but in larger snowfall or, uh, rainfall events or precipitation events, um you see more runoff generated than the landscape can um can, can absorb and, and process. And then you get the excess uh water that's generated and it flows down the down the landscape and, and goes into receiving water. So that's really what stormwater uh, when we say stormwater, what that really means. And and it's a term that um really comes from and reflects the, the background of, of, of the sector that has, that has focused primarily on um flood situations and thinking about storms uh, storms leading to floods and these large events. But in reality, um, depending on the climate that you're in exactly, but, but generally speaking, most storm events are are pretty small and are not, um, large catastrophic events. So, um, storm, the term stormwater itself is, is I think a little bit of a misnomer, but it's a term of, um, practice that we all use and and it represents that runoff that's generated, um, during precipitation events. So, um, and, and, and how it's impactful, um, on, on water quality it's really two uh, main ways that this happens of course there's a lot more to it than that but the, the two main mechanisms that, that have impacts on water Uh, occur and when that happens you you get higher volume and you get
0: pervious surfaces that we have, the more pollutants that are resting on the land, whether it's oil, trash, cigarette butts, or phosphorus, nitrogen, and then compiled that with the erosion problems when you have these high velocity and uh, huge volumes of, you know, the periodic stormwater events can lead to um, downstream water quality impacts. Thanks thanks for that, Seth. Um, So I want to talk a little bit more about the costs um, because it's, it's kind of um, unclear to, I think, many people that might be listening or the general public how costs factor into stormwater. So I was hoping that you might be able to address this question um, of what costs are associated with stormwater and who really pays to manage uh, either stormwater programs or clean, clean the water.
1: Yeah, so the costs, um, the the question you've asked is really a fundamental and and, – well, not fundamental, but a significant one. It's it's really, really uh, one of the the biggest topics right now, um, which is there's a lot of resources being put into this and and a lot of attention being paid to costs and funding and financing and those type of issues related to um, stormwater. So. Uh, But costs, generally speaking, are for for related to stormwater, you know, just like any other type of capital project or infrastructure project where you've got kind of pre-project costs. So you you have to go site um, a a project. And we're talking about things like, and I'll I'll start using some terms here, uh, stormwater uh, BMPs, best management practices, um, which can be in in the past have been uh, ponds and things like that. We're now seeing things uh, used that are, that are focusing on, or practices that are being used that are focusing on infiltration and retention. So the the term that is being used for that, um, those practices is green infrastructure. So when, when you're looking at uh, trying to construct uh, a green infrastructure practice, you have to of course design it and you have to site it, you have to find the right location. All of that is kind of the pre-project uh, effort. Then, of course, con- constructing it, installing it, is, is another uh, a cost, and that's a that's a significant one. And, and, but another cost that's not uh, really taken into account as much as it should be. And, but it's now uh, there's all, again and a lot of attention being paid to this is the O and M or operation and maintenance right. aspects of, of uh, socially especially green infrastructure. Which involves things like, you know, inspecting, uh, maintaining, maybe doing performance monitoring to make sure that it that it's working. So there's there's a lot of um, effort being paid on on that, and and those costs are, you know, they can be I mean, three to five percent of the capital costs. But if you look at over a twenty or thirty year uh, life cycle for these practices you know you're basically doubling the, the capital costs over over that, over that life period so it's not an insignificant cost when you look at it at a life cycle cost right. um, and then and then there's you know there's there's also the i guess the bucket of costs related to what i would say is kind of operational ongoing research that, that helps the sector really understand you know in a program for instance a, a community may want to do uh, enhanced monitoring uh, to make sure that, that, they're getting the performance that they need to on their, both the proprietary and their non-proprietary systems. So those are the costs, um, uh, the, the kind of the cost breakdown and related, you know, it, uh, on the, the question of who really pays, that's again, a great question. Uh, because, uh, and many times, uh, Nobody pays because we're, we're underfunding stormwater, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. But, but the way that it's done, uh, for the most part, we've got about seven thousand five hundred uh, regulated stormwater communities, and that's they're in the uh, MS4 program, and the MS4 program stands for the Municipal Separate Storm Sewer System program, which just means uh, all the water that's generated, all the runoff that's generated, is carried through um, a conveyance system that's separate from sanitary flows or wastewater flows um so uh, there's a permit program that we can go into um in detail but I, I won't cover it here but but anyway the um the way that those programs are are uh, funded at the local level are through general funds for the most part again there's about 7500 uh, of these communities that that have to go through uh, the permitting process and and be responsible for stormwater management uh, most of those are are general funds which is limiting uh, uh, for long-term planning because you don't know from year to year to year. You know, you don't have a dedicated revenue source. It's hard mm-hmm. to look out 20 to 30 years and, and really be, I don't know, uh, strategic in your planning. So that's, that's a challenge, there's, but, but there's a, you know, the, a growing field of stormwater utilities or user-based fees, things like that. Just like a wastewater program would have, you know, you have to pay fees or a drinking water program, you pay fees to that utility. Right. Uh, there's more and more stormwater utilities being set up, and they, they go under different names. They're called stormwater authorities in Pennsylvania, for instance, but, there's the, but the, the premise is the same, that it's a service that, that you have to pay for. Um, and there's about 1,500 of these, plus or minus, um, in, across the, the country, and you know that still represents less than a quarter of, of all the... Um, uh, communities out there so again that's the the type of dedicated funding that's really helpful to have and we're seeing it on the rise but it's it's really not happening And even then um, when you have stormwater utilities set up the the, the average cost uh, to a home uh, a residential household is about four dollars a month right for those programs that have these set up and that's uh, anecdotally or however else you want to look at it (laughs) it's really low um, because we there's an estimate of from EPA that we've got about a, if you extrapolate out based upon information that's provided by EPA, okay. uh, on, on a, a 20-year need window uh, in the in the MS4 sector, got about 100 uh, billion dollars of needs across the country, um, and I you know, there's there's no way four dollars a month per household is, is going to get us there. Sure. Um, and and if you do kind of a back of the
0: I mean, you relatively pay a small amount each month for the the services that these stormwater utilities provide and 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 provide uh, cleaning the water and ensuring uh, all the downstream waters are clean as well. So it it's really is a, a low amount. Okay, so Seth, yeah. I want to ask you uh, another question that sort of is more of a big picture question um, and, and takes a look at um, businesses, municipalities, and communities and and the question I have for you is whether these entities work together to manage stormwater um, as well as reduce stormwater pollution.
1: Uh, the businesses and municipalities yep. and communities are all, all working together, that's the question? Yeah,
0: yeah. Do they work together in unison? Um, do they communicate? Do they they offer insight if they have a program that's doing something really well or working really well? Do they Do they share that information? Um, to help other uh, neighboring communities or communities across the country?
1: Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, there, there's, the, one of the challenges in the, in the stormwater world is that, you know, I mentioned there's 7,500 plus or minus uh, communities that, that are regulated for stormwater. There's only about, you know, six to 700 of those that are considered large uh, communities. Uh, that are over 100,000 or more um, in population, and uh, so that means that that a vast majority, you know, over 6,500 of those uh, regulated communities are, are tend to be smaller in midsize. Um, and midsize. and so it's it's a it's a challenge for them to, to network with each other. Um, but you know, we're seeing groups that that are popping up to help to help do that, and you know, between you know between MS4s, so the, the national Municipal Stormwater Alliance, which I'm working with. Is, is one example of that where MS4s um, are trying to network with each other. They they do they do a good job of that at the state and regional level because the stormwater programs are at that at that level, but um, they don't really have a chance to network with each other across state boundaries as much. So mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to pull them together that way. Uh, related to uh, the question about business kind of opportunities is is, is that is that another aspect sure. of this as yeah. well? This question,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, y- there, there, there's great opportunities for businesses, um, and, and I would think about this, and if I'm off base, just just feel free to jump in, but I'm thinking about it in terms of um, the, the leaders within uh, urban areas uh, and regulated areas are often uh, the businesses, the, the, the commercial properties, the non-residential, because um, if you look at the footprint, of impervious cover, which is a driver for stormwater management you know, issues, um, by far the, the largest footprint in a community is, especially if you go by parcel, the number of parcels. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a it's not residential because there's a lot of small residential that don't that you know that, that don't have huge parking lots, but you, it's it'll, it's the it's the, the shopping areas, the parking lots, the right. roadways, those type of things. So and, and those are associated oftentimes with. Um, and rooftop, large rooftops, and those are all associated with with businesses. So, what you're seeing in um, in in cities like uh, Philadelphia is an example. Uh, it's a, it's a you know Philadelphia is a great leader in this area of green infrastructure. They've got a a, a very innovative uh, incentive based. It, it's actually grants, but it's it's really more of a market or incentive based approach where uh, to to um, incentivize on site um it's from water management, so what that means is, if I'm a business and I've got you know maybe I've got a shopping mall and I've got a large parking lot, um, if I have to pay a significant fee and the fees in in um, in, in Philadelphia are, are are higher, they're more like twelve dollars, eight to twelve dollars, um, um, what's called them, per ERU equivalent residential unit. Um, so that's that's relatively high. Again, it's more like four dollars and, and uh, across other communities. So with these higher fees. Um, kind of a per unit fee you see significant costs to businesses and so businesses will start to say why well, it's going to be you know if I have an incentive to to adopt something on-site then maybe I'll do that so, so that's what we're seeing in places like Philadelphia where there'll be an 80% rebate given and if, and if you do that and private entities are the ones that are the service providers putting this stuff on on-site and working with with businesses um, we're starting to see you know, significant movement um, for on-site uh, stormwater um, investment, I'll say. And again, it's the businesses who want to, um, not only do they, you know, they have this large footprint, so they've got the large opportunity, it's, like, it's economically feasible for these um, these types of parcels right. and this type of uh, land use activity, but uh, they also want to be seen as green. And you see right. this more and more, you know, sustainable is, is a good thing, especially when you are economically and, and financially um, sustainable, that's, that's a great thing as well. So... Uh, I think that the, the businesses really are, are looking at this in that way, and not only that, but you know, green infrastructure is great—a great, of, uh, a great ec- attractor sure. of economic development and and economic um, um, activity. I'll say. You know on right. addressing urban blight so green infrastructure is being used in you know on vacant lands in places like Detroit and I know that in, in, it's being used in Gary Indiana to address urban blight right. as an example and it's kind of the opposite of the broken window theory where you know you you, you know, that that theory is obviously you've got a broken window in a in a building in a you know in a certain part of town and everyone that signals to others that it's neglected and people don't care about it so therefore crime and other things will attract to those areas but if you clean these areas up you you, you green them you you invest in them um, you've not only address you know social needs such as mm-hmm. you know, increased mm-hmm. yeah. uh, public health conditions things like that but you also can uh, all those things are, are positive attractors for economic development and activity
0: yeah I definitely agree with you Seth I think there is especially recently uh, a push for green infrastructure and green space, and, and generally the public is more attracted to um, businesses or locations that have green space or green infrastructure. So it is, it is a good business opportunity um, to invest mm-hmm. in. All right, so okay, I want to okay. move on a little bit to, I know you mentioned permitting, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds of, of permitting, but I just thought it, it would be, it's sort of timely for me to ask you, uh, because the, the EPA has recently uh, published a, a new municipal stormwater permit on It's a, the municipal stormwater remand rule. Um, and it's been go- ongoing in a decade long battle, legal battle with the EPA um, over what is this language that's been sort of ambiguous for the regulated community. and it's the maximum extent practicable language that has caused so much confusion confusion for ms4s under this permit so I was hoping maybe you could just talk about it you don't have to get too too detailed um, but what does this um, rule mean for municipalities
1: um, it's a, again another great question and very like you said timely it was it's just something that's just uh, been promulgated and um, it's in it's now in effect uh, right now, uh, but it, it was just within the last, I believe, within the last month.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But this, uh, right? So, so this is really timely. So, this, this, um, this you said it's called the remand rules, but it, it's specifically for the phase two program. And so, again, the, the not to get into details, but the MS four program it's run um, nationally but administered by the states. Um, it is. Uh, broken into two phases. Uh, the first phase were these larger, larger cities—the you know, six hundred, seven hundred or so um, of the larger cities, of so New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, those types of communities. But again, the phase two are those—the rest of them, maybe something like uh, Youngstown, Ohio, or Albany, New York, or or whatever that 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 aren't kind of megacities. So again, there's, there's a lot of these smaller and mid-sized communities that are in this phase two program, and, and they generally, um, what, what this, this remand has to do with is, is the, um, the general permit process. So uh, again, not to get into the weeds, but there are two different <laughs> types of permits that, that are associated with stormwater, um, and this is true about other regulatory environmental regulatory programs. But there's there's an individual permit where a community would write their own permit that's completely unique from anybody else's so as it sounds it's individual unique. Um then there's the other option is a general permit which is here's a permit that covers um, common conditions and common um, issues and topics and whatnot and, and terms and um, the, you know several communities can can point to that general permit and, and submit what's called an NOI or notice of intent, and that's an intention to comply with the general permit. And because of all, you know, the, the many small and mid sized communities in the phase two program, most use this phase two, um, I'm sorry, this, this general permit approach. Um, there's a couple states where they have so few even phase two communities that they do, they they just do individual permits but i think that's only one or two states that do that so again the vast majority use this general permit process so um, what this remains about is the fact that in the general permit process um, <clears throat> the way that it was structured when it was really promulgated or started back in 2003 or so didn't uh, or, or there was an argument uh, made by some environmental uh, and nonprofits and, and other groups that the the, non, the general permit process didn't allow for regu- enough regulatory oversight by the regulatory authority, which would be the states, and does um, didn't allow for uh, review and public input as well. So public comment, public input to review the permit conditions and whatnot, because of the way that it's it's set up. Um, you know, a, a, an NOI is, is developed by a city. And again, they mm-hmm. send their NOI in and sometimes it gets reviewed. Sometimes it doesn't uh, by the regulatory agency at that state level. And sometimes it's reviewed by the public and sometimes it's not. So there's no, there's no real standard process. And, and this uh, a court case in 2003, uh, focused on this point and uh, the environmental groups won, and and, and the, uh, the ruling was that EPA had to, to kind of fix their process to make it, um, again, it, it include oversight and public input right. and, and oversight in that, that way, too. So um, nothing really happened. The EPA didn't really do much on that <laughs> for several years. And so the, the regulatory um, the environmental groups came back and again and went to court again and said, look, they have been, still haven't done anything. Uh, we need them to do something. So finally, uh, another, another ruling in their favor pushed EPA to do something about it. So that's, that's really what this is about. Right. Um, and that, that's, that's what the remand is at this point. And so um you know there, there were three basic options that they were looking at and i won't go into detail but i'll just boil it down the three options were you know basically create um it was called the general permit process which is almost like having each community well having the general permit would cover all permitting conditions for all ms4s um which i think is you know it, it's it's not a great approach because it you know there, there's right. communities have different challenges and different issues so it doesn't really respect the, the, the right. varying nature of, of Stromar. So that was the first uh, option. The second option was to uh, have this kind of a, a permit that's very, a general permit that's very general, and, um, and then allowing those NOIs that are done at the local level to uh, cover everything else, basically, and go through a, a whole, you know, several steps of regulatory oversight. Then it would come back, and then it would go to public, you know, a review and whatnot. Um, that was called a procedural approach. Um, and, and so that was again not seen as an attractive one because of just as heavy on the procedure side as it as it as its name um, you know uh, as its name sounds like you know it's as it reflex. So the, the third option was called the hybrid or the states' choice um, approach or option that allowed kind of op- elements of both options one mm-hmm. and two and and this is what they eventually went but that's the one they've chosen um, and that's the one that the groups that I've been involved with Water Environment Federation as well as um, uh, the National Municipal Stormwater Alliance, and I think a lot of other groups were happy with this selection because it provides flexibility for states to to create these programs as you know as they see fit. Because the issues in Ohio are going to be different than um, maybe in Idaho. Sure. Um, and so the, there's a respect of uh, the unique nature of the programs within within states, and, and of course at the local level as well. So. Um, I think that's that's what it's about in terms of how that impacts MEP or maximum extent practicable. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding of the role, you know, if you've got if you've got other information, I'd love to hear from you, Emily, on this. But um, what I've seen is that they really they carefully stayed away from MEP. Um, MEP is this thing that um, is very ambiguous, as you mentioned. You know, it's uh, it's a it's a performance standard that's not very clear and. Uh, a lot of communities like that because they, they don't they don't want to be pinned down in specifics about the the performance standard. Uh, some communities don't like that. They they want they want to have more clarity. So um, I think there's a there's a divide there. Maybe not an even divide, but there's there there's some uh, communities and, and groups on both sides of that issue. But this ruling, as far as I understand, as far as I know, really stayed away from MEP. Um, because it is, I think it is just a Pandora's box. Once you can open that up, it's going to—it's—it's it's a big challenge to um, to define the terms and the right. associated with performance standards. So, as far as I know, it's—it's it's really um, doesn't impact MEP. Um, and then lastly, I'll just say that the outcome of this rule, the remand rule is that I think it's going to add some costs to states and localities to administer their programs because now they have to do more, you know, they have to go through a few more steps than they used to have to go through. Right. Some states are already doing that. I think Texas and Minnesota are two examples. I think they already go through these type of, exam, uh, these type of steps, so I think they'll probably be not as impacted. Other states um, may not have as robust of a program, uh, again, related to um, com, uh, public comment and public input as well as and regulatory review and o- approval of NOIs and things like that. So um, I think it's going to be—it's kind of an uneven um, landscape in terms of mm-hmm. the impacts um, on on both localities and states. It's, that's that's. But you know, of course, it's yet to be seen as it rolls out. But that's right. uh,
0: Yeah, and, and I generally of,
1: of I see so far.
0: I generally concur. I think that um, I, I think that the EPA inten- intentionally refrained from addressing MEP. Um, to continue down that path of giving municipalities flexibility, um, but mm-hmm. we'll see as this remand rule, like you said, rolls out, and uh, we enter maybe even the rainy season in many states um, yeah. as the snow melts, how this will um, kind of impact um, some municipalities. Um, I agree.
1: Uh, I agree. And there's other things on the horizon too. The construction general permit just yep, came out. yeah that's
0: out. Uh, so that's- um, yeah yep all of those things just just came out so there'll be a lot of yep. attention I think is being played to stormwater from the regulatory standpoint absolutely um, okay so um, before we get into another really interesting issue um, that's unfolding as we speak right now with Scott Pruitt as the um, potential nominee to head the EPA I want to ask what give you a chance to speak a little bit about the National Municipal Stormwater Alliance that you're part of um, and sort of what that what that alliance means and how that can help the regulated community um, in terms of municipalities um, comply or talk about ms4 permitting ob- obligations or these new stormwater permits that we just mentioned sorry
1: yeah no I appreciate that the um the NAMSA, or the National Municipal Stormwater Alliance, as you mentioned, it's it's really new. It's a group that's um, it's actually doesn't even have uh, full status as a 501c3, but it's got a pending status. So, um, it's a it's a it's a group that is made up of it's kind of a coalition, you know, or, or an alliance, as, mm-hmm. it, as it sounds. So it's not you know individuals aren't members of this group. It's uh, states or uh, regional groups that represent MS4s. I mean, it's it's specifically focused on the MS4. You know, program. So it's, it's you know, and, and things that are associated with that, obviously, uh, water quality is a big part of that. But, you know, maybe some MS4s also get into flooding and, and, and water quantity issues as well. But, you know, the whole point is to focus on MS4 issues. And, you know, as you brought up things like MEP, which is, uh, you know, that's a that's a dicey thing. So uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting topics out there. And I think that, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll speak as somebody who really focused on stormwater policy for five years at the Water Environment Federation. They headed up their, their program policy uh, pro, um, f- efforts. Um, stormwater is kind of the stepchild in the water sector. You know, Drinking water is obviously a huge um, sector and, and topic, right. and it's very important. Um, wastewater is obviously significant as well, so those have been around the science behind those, the, the research, you know, behind that, is it's, it's much more, they're more, much more mature. Because they were, you know, basic need. You know, we need to have drinking water. We needed to have, have, you know, wastewater treatment, so we didn't, you know, have cholera and other things like that. So obviously, they're, they're more mature, and there's more investments made there. But, you know, at, at what we're seeing is, and there's, there's a really great piece uh, that was written by William Ruckelshaus. Um, oh yeah. And this was brought up. <laughs> I, I, I will give total props to um, Amanda Waters, and uh, she's the general counsel at, at the, at NACWA, uh, the National Association of Clean Water agencies um and and um here in here in washington dc she she's the one who really highlighted this to me and i've always i have to share this because i think it's really um, insightful but this piece by william House was written um in 2010 and he was asked and it was in the wall street journal and he was asked to look at look back over the 40 years since the clean water act was really started the clean water act was re- you know released and launched and signed and all that stuff in 1972 but it took a couple of years to write that up some some say that it was the it took more effort to put that legislation together than any other legislation but i'm i'm sure that's probably written by the people who put that together so <laughs> who knows if that's really true but the point is that it's very robust and it was a big program and it was you know a million ruckels house was really the one of the main architects uh, for this under uh, the the nixon administration yeah and uh, he, he makes the point that over the 40 years, you know, the, the initial the 85% of the problems that we had, the impairments that we had, were related to uh, traditional non or traditional point source pollution, which are things like, you know, things that come out of the end of a pipe. That's right. why I call it a point source. You can point to it and say, there it is. So, you know, things that are coming out of um, wastewater treatment plants or in, industrial plants, things like that, were causing 85% of our issues. And, of course, we had, you know, rivers on fire in the Cuyahoga and, and across, you know, we had bays that were you know, that you that were so sort of, you know, they were terrible, terrible mm-hmm. water quality conditions. So um so we focused on those issues in the initial part of the Clean Water Act and I think this it's been an overall success. No matter how you slice it, you can do cost benefit analysis or whatever you want to do. Um, you know, it's it's been successful. Um, but it's you know it focused on the the point, point source issue. So right. If you fast-forward 40 years to 2010, which is when this this article was written uh, by William Merkel's House, he points out that, you know, why the whole pie, if you're looking at this kind of a pie chart, the whole pie is clearly um, shrunk. You know, we've we've reduced pollution uh, in, in a significant way, but the distribution is exactly the opposite. Now, today... 85% of our our impairments come from non-point source, and that includes urban stormwater runoff, which is regulated as a point source, but but acts as a non-point source, or kind of a hybrid of a point-non-point source. But it's agricultural runoff and urban runoff. Those are the things that are really driving our water quality issues today. So anyway, the point is, you know, that this is is where we're going in the future. These are the, the issues of the 21st century, which, again, why we've got... So much, effort, you know, focus being placed on stormwater mm-hmm. right now. Uh, the agricultural community, they they've kind of given a they've given a pass on the regulations <laughs> for the most part, except for certain situations. So that leaves urban stormwater off as as uh, the one with the big bullseye on their back. Right. So that's why this group, the National Municipal Stormwater Alliance, is really focused on the MS4 um, program. Like I said, it's an alliance of states. There's 11 uh, states that are in part of it, and the uh, Water Environment Federation is also a member of this group. It covers seven different uh, EPA regions, you know, so there's mm-hmm. 10 EPA regions across the country. Great. Seven of them are represented. So we've got members uh, from places like the Ohio Stormwater Association, the California Stormwater Quality Association, um, the Minnesota City Stormwater Coalition, Virginia. Yeah.
0: so some big players.
1: Um, yeah, so so yeah, so it cuts across is the point. We've got some from you know, from different places and. Um, the, the, they're, they're working together, um, and it's a C three, it's not a C six, which means that it's more technically oriented. It's it's not a um, you know they, they're not going to be uh, have heavy lobbying. Right. They want to bring data forward uh, to help other groups and work at the national level with groups like WEF or like NACWA or the uh, American Public Works Association right. or other groups like that, so that we can um, you know help help bring bring that data to the to the to the fore, so that we can really talk about these issues. So, um, they are looking yeah. to, to work together with others and um, and, and, and be very cooperative uh, with other groups as well. So, anyway, that's Excellent. that's what the that's what NAPS is about. If you want more information, you can go to uh, National Stormwater and you can get some more information there.
0: Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Seth, for that uh, description. I, I, I should point out mm-hmm. that uh, William Reckelshaus was the first EPA administrator appointed by Nixon um, to, to take the reins of the Environmental Protection Agency. So that leads me perfectly into the next question that I want to ask you, which is um, going on today is the confirmation hearing for Scott Pruitt. And Scott Pruitt has been nominated by President-elect Donald Trump to lead the Environmental Protection Agency. And he is from my home state of Oklahoma. So I do have a connection there, even though um, I don't think Scott Pruitt... Um, knows that I am from Oklahoma. So um, we, I wish he would. Um, so with this new administration, Seth, do you foresee any big changes to stormwater regulations? Uh,
1: the answer is we don't know. Uh, that's, right. uh, that's the short <laughs> answer, <laughs> of course. I think there's a lot we don't know about uh, about President-elect Trump, and we can still say that because uh, as we're as yep. we're recording this, it's the 18th it's of January. It's not right? the 20th. Yet. Not
0: the
1: 20th. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is the inauguration, right? So um, one thing to you know, well, you're right about William ruckel's house, um, and, and I was pointing out he was a Republican, or under a Republican uh, administration. Sure. Yep. Um, and 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 the other thing to note about him, uh, he was the only person to be the administrator twice. Uh, uh, he was the administrator during under Nixon, and also under. Uh, he came back in the early '80s under Reagan. Um, so, uh, whether I always say that he was either uh, one of the smartest or maybe one of the dumbest guys to actually do that job twice <laughs> depends on how you look at it. It's not he an had easy job <laughs> to have. So,
0: <laughs> unfinished business. But anyway, with
1: that, <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: He had some unfinished business to take care of. So. Well
1: said. <laughs> So so yeah, and Scott Pruitt. I mean, yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, who knows if he'll actually get nominated? But let's let mm-hmm. start there. Uh, He's a controversial pick. Um, right. So so it's 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 hard to really to see what you know what his um, his his priorities are. But if you just look at, at, at his background and the background of the, the leader of the transition team, um, who's a person who's uh, does not believe in all aspects of climate change. I think there's gonna be a big focus on the in the EPA on on things like climate change and air quality issues. and uh, things like that, I think that's going to be the uh, areas most uh, under scrutiny. I mm-hmm. think under a, a Trump administration. Um, there you know there are some signals that we can look at from statements that have been made by um, by by Donald Trump and by his transition team, for instance, they've talked about um, tripling the SRF, which is the State Revolving Fund program. That's uh, money that that comes from uh, EPA um, and and is distributed to the to all the states for uh, investments in mm-hmm. clean water or drinking water infrastructure. So they're talking about tripling that, which is something that, um, again, groups like NACWA and WEF and others are very happy about and have been uh, promoting uh, increases in the SRF because. You know, there's economic you know, studies that have been done recently um wef did that along with um, a group called war water environment and reuse foundation that show that there is a significant uh, I, I think it's upwards of 90 percent of the dollars that are that are uh invested come back in the form of taxes of some kind i don't have the details in front of me but i know that it's it's a very uh, it's a good program uh, but it's been dwindling over the years and so uh, they've been talking about tripling it, which is which is huge. Um, so that that's a good sign, I think, for the water sector. Um, I also, you know, there there was some statements made at um, uh, Donald Trump's. Uh, he gave a, a, a talk during his campaign in Gettysburg. I think he, he called it the twenty five point plan or something like that. And one of the points was that they wanted to pull back billions of dollars in uh, climate change treaties and investments and things like that overseas, and invest a lot of that in what he termed water and environmental infrastructure so again that's you know and then he also made a, a trip to flint on um, right. the the you need know, to, to you know recognize the the challenges there so for all these you know it, you kind of connect these dots and you think that it's um you know there's a, i think the water sector generally is going to be an area i think of uh support rather than um the neglect, I think, under the Trump administration. I think there's there's a going, there's a lot of talk of infrastructure investment overall, um, but I think specifically in water, uh, we see uh, a lot of interest. And I think you know, if we want to talk about specifically in stormwater, um, or, or or going further into water issues, you know, I know Scott Pruitt has you know, he's from Oklahoma, as you mentioned. Um, I know there's a lot of energy issues uh, or energy investment and in the industry there. Um, but it's also an agricultural state, as you know. and so waters of the u s, which is um, a very contentious thing that's that's, that's um, issue. it's issue that's been ongoing between uh, and 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 the Corps of engineers and EPA were working together to try to provide clarity based on some um, ambiguities right. that have arisen over uh, multiple Supreme Court rulings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what they provided is really not has <laughs> not been seen as. Uh, threading the needle that I think they were hoping for so I, I, I would think that the first thing under the water um, sector right. that was going to that's going to be looked at and with scrutiny is going to be the waters of the US and, and how The, the current administration, and uh, I think I think I will say one of the areas that will probably be in, of continued, uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, area of interest, I'll say, in the MS4 world is, uh, I guess, the two issues. I would say MEP is always out there as a question mark, and, and you know, that's, that's something that's floating around. But the other thing is Team DLs, which is the total maximum daily loads. That's, um, a, it's again, another regulatory program that defines the loads that, that are, that, that impact waters or make them, you know, impaired. We'll say, there's a lot to be said there, but I won't go into it. But the point is the team program is, is, has a nexus with the MS4 program as well. And how that's being done is, um, uh, that, that's a challenging area and that's driving up the costs in places like San Diego. I'm sure mm-hmm. it's at billions of dollars of needs. And most of that's being driven by team related to, you know, um, Things like, well, not, not necessarily as much nutrients, but I know trash is a, a big issue out there, as well as right. um, bacteria and things like that. So right. uh, I think the TMDL question um, mark and how TMDLs are at uh, loads are integrated into MS4 permits, I think that's going to be an ongoing issue. But I think that you know, we had a national rule, uh, a stormwater rule that was deferred in 2014 that was going to basically, they were trying to create a, a standard for the whole country. Uh, For stormwater as there is currently uh, for wastewater, but um, that was deferred uh, In 2014, I think it's just gonna remain dormant um, Throughout this administration and I think we're gonna see more things happen at the state and local level And I think that's generally true by a lot of environmental things. I think there's just gonna be Not as much happening at the federal federal. level. Um,
0: Yeah, I I think that's pretty much the general consensus from for for most people that do do this kind of business on a day-to-day Um, occurrence so hey Seth we're running short on time I would like to ask you one um, last question if there's anything else that you would like to clarify or mention that I did not ask in this podcast um, yeah go ahead and and (laughs) if there's anything else you'd like to add (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, just I'll just add real quickly that uh, we're seeing a rise in, in market based approaches, and I think this again reflects the Trump administration kind of view of things and which is not a bad thing. Um, I'm personally working on something called a community based public private partnership program and, and uh, approach to green infrastructure investments. Um, <clears throat> that's being um, implemented in Prince George's county right now um, and it's uh, we see a lot of interest in, I'm working with EPA region three uh, which is the mid-atlantic area I'm working on that there's a lot of interest so I, I think we'll be seeing more of that and if there's any interest um, that anyone has on that feel free to contact me to, you know we'll have contact information I believe associated with this so uh, that's one thing to note I know that um, there's other issues such as trading um, in, in the stormwater space that um, we've had some meetings on recently and there's more interest in kind of um, market. Again, that's another incentive and market-based approach. And lastly, I'll say um, there's a lot more interest in source control, you know, trying to remove pollutants from our environment. I know in California, they've been looking at um, reducing, or they have been working you know, hard on, on, on the issue of um, reducing and removing um, copper uh, from brake liners, for instance, to, to reduce that uh, in transportation corridors. And now they're moving on to zinc that's in tires as an example so i think we're going to see more of that because it's really cost-effective if we can do that there's low-foss and no-foss fertilizer things like that and i think we're going to see more and more because again that's very cost-effective to try to reduce the pollutants in our environment um... as, as, a, as a you know cost-effective way to to address water quality issues in the downstream uh... areas too so that's i think those are the the, the last things i know we're yes. up on our time so i don't know <laughs> that i could go on, on for a while <laughs> hey i appreciate
0: all of your expertise Seth it's been it's been a great episode. Um, so that's all we have on this episode of EHS on Tap. I'd like to thank you, thank Seth for taking the time to speak with me today and us. Um, if listeners would like to follow up with Seth, he can be reached at seth.brown at stormandstream.com, and we'll have all that information up on the BLR website um, soon enough. So this podcast was brought to you by BLR. Thanks for listening, everyone.